Thank you, Phil, and uh, welcome to everyone. It's lovely to see the Reeves this morning, uh, the children, that is. We haven't seen you for a long time, so lovely to see you, Freya, and uh, Peter. That's, yeah. And uh, you've got a good crowd this morning, so yeah, praise God for that. So, authentic ministry. This was um, John Wood's uh, title for this talk, by the way, but I think it's a good one. Um, I've subtitled it, Eight Charges to Pastor Timothy. Um, If you look at the text, you'll see that there are eight injunctions or commandments to um, Timothy from Paul, the apostle. So, meet Tim. A fairly young Christian man from Sussex, he feels called to pastoral ministry. He's been mentored and encouraged by other godly men and women who notice that he has potential for church leadership. He decides to study theology at seminary to deepen his understanding of the Bible and how to handle it. He subsequently graduates And is now looking for a church in which he can minister full-time. A big decision for him and the church who wish to call him. How can a young, inexperienced preacher demonstrate maturity to an older congregation? What disadvantages await a young minister? How can he keep going in pastoral ministry, using his gifts and fanning them into flame? Let's explore these questions from today's text. So make sure you have your Bible open at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. My first point is respect Pastor Timothy. Respect Pastor Timothy. Most commentators say that Pastor Timothy, from Lystra, by the way, in Asia Minor, not from Sussex, he would have been around 35 years old when he was ordained as overseer to the church in Ephesus. Did you see that in verse 14? I think it is, yeah, where the elders laid their hands on him. And appointed him as an elder. They work this out from other Bible texts, principally in Acts. So he's around 35, probably. These men who ordained Timothy, which could have been Paul as well, were most probably older than he was. Guthrie writes that many of the Ephesian Christians, and especially the elders, were most certainly of maturer years and if for some time they had served under the leadership of the veteran missionary apostle Paul it is by no means inconceivable that some would look with disfavor and contempt on the younger Timothy hence the command Paul gives to his protege in verse 12 did you see it don't let them despise you. Don't let anyone look down on you. 
Another commentator says that integrity is no respecter of age. Integrity is no respecter of age. A young person is as likely to have integrity as the senior citizen. Older people have always found it difficult to accept young people as responsible adults in their own right, let alone as leaders. And young people are understandably irritated when their elders keep reminding them of their immaturity and inexperience and treat them with contempt. Stop rights. Instead, how should Pastor Timothy respond? Or look in verse 12. But emphasis is given here. But set an example for the believers in speech. He goes on. Conversely, Timothy, be an example, be a role model in the church. Or keep on becoming. It's my second point. Be a role model. He should be constantly improving as a role model for the churches. Not static. The word in Greek, for example, is tupos. Which signifies the firm, heavy blow of an imprinted mark on metal. Pastors should be role models to the flock. In 1 Peter 5, 2-3, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to posts. To the flock. Paul himself was careful to be a good example. And he's not hesitant to tell his hearers to imitate him. Now it's Timothy's turn. He then spells this out in verse 12, giving Timothy five hows. First, in how Timothy speaks. Do you see that in the text? Verse 12. Privately and publicly, he should always speak the truth in love, marked with grace. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 4, 6. His speech. Secondly, his behavior in conduct, how he lives, outward conduct. We read in Titus chapter 1, the elder must be blameless, free from accusation, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. His behavior is important. How he lives his life. Thirdly, 
Sorry, I forgot to click there. His love. Agape, famous word in Greek. An active love, not a passive love. A love for others under his care. A love for even his enemies. That's what Paul uh, is telling Timothy. Is, does he have a love for God, for others? And his faith, he goes on. In faith, Paul must be, sorry, Timothy must be a trustworthy person in whom others should be able to place their faith and confidence in, as well as having a personal belief in God. And lastly, it says impurity in the sense of his moral conduct and proper sexual purity. So, if Timothy were to display these characteristics as his role as overseer, then he would and should be given respect by others, regardless of his age. Timothy wasn't to lord himself over others as a tyrannical leader like the Pharisees, bossy, controlling, power-seeking, but being a godly leader in whom people would look up to, follow, and imitate themselves. Lordship and leadership are two different concepts, Stott says. The Christian leads by example, not force, and is a model who invites a following, not a boss who compels one. And don't we see this modelled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who demonstrated what it was to be a servant king, a great leader, loving the unlovely, showing compassion, touching the leper, feeding the hungry, spending time with outcasts, refuting the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, living a life of integrity on earth, obedient to his father, not giving in to temptation, being willing, willing to suffer horrendously for others, for us. Well, in application, um, sadly, we live in an age, don't we, where there are plenty of bad role models around us in the media, in sports, in politics, and sadly, even in the church sometimes, though there are good ones. Timothy is only human. Paul is not saying that Timothy should be a paragon of virtue, a person with no moral faults. Elders are sinners like the rest of us. They have struggles. Let's not put them on a pedestal. They'll easily fall off. That's for Christ. He should be on the pedestal. And I think we can apply this for all of us here in the congregation. How are you doing in the five ins? How are you doing in your speech, your conduct, your behavior, in your love for the Lord, love for others, in your faith, and in your purity? Tough questions, aren't they, for all of us? How are we doing? Are we setting a good example 
as a believer in our lives. As most of you know, we are looking for a pastor here at Calvary Church. Let's look at his character, his conduct, faith, purity, speech, love, his love for the Lord, love for his people, not his age as a criteria for pastoral ministry. The current current candidate we're looking at is younger than Pastor Timothy. In some ways, that's great. He'll probably have more physical strength, energy, be more active to fulfill his duties, be able to preach, teach more. And don't we see it's a high calling, a noble task to lead a church. There is a high bar, as we've seen, to become an elder, not to be taken lightly. It's only by God's grace. So, Timothy is to be a good role model, set an example, first of all. And next, what is he, he should, should he be doing? Well, thirdly, bread and butter ministry. Principally, what public tasks should Pastor Timothy be performing? Well, look at verse 13. It says, devote yourself, which means to pay attention to, apply oneself to, give attendance to these things, these three areas in public ministry. Did you see them in verse 13? The first one is public reading of scripture. In the Jewish tradition, synagogue worship consisted of reading the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Do you remember Ezra read the scriptures aloud to the people from dawn to midday and revival came to Israel. Jesus read out the prophet Isaiah in his hometown. Now God's word should be read in the gathering of the church. It's essential God speaks to us through his word. It's imperative that we have it meeting to meeting. It is said that neglecting public reading of scripture opens the door to moral and doctrinal apostasy. Let's keep this at the forefront of our meetings here at Calvary Church. Can I hear an amen? Thank you. So public reading of scripture is really, really important for Timothy, for the church. Secondly, preaching. Did you see that in verse 13? Which means encouragement, comfort, consolation, appeal. Devote yourself to this, Timothy. Exhorting the congregation comes after the reading of scripture. As scripture is supreme. God's word has the most authority than the exposition of the text. The instruction and preaching taken from the text read, like I'm doing now. Do you notice the list of importance in verse 13? 
what type of preaching should issue from the pulpit? Evangelistic? Expository? Topical? I'd argue from today's text, expository preaching. It trumps the rest, though there is time and place for other styles. Then we get the whole counsel of God's word, not just cherry-picking what we want to hear. We'll get a healthy diet this way. Notice, Paul doesn't talk about particular styles of preaching here. Every man has his own character, personality, style, and this can develop and change over time. One style is not better than another. God uses our personalities in the pulpit. And don't we see that from week to week? Aaron was different to me. Phil's different to me. We're all different, and that's fine. Preaching. Devote yourself to preaching, Timothy. Next one is teaching. You see that? Three, which is didaskos. Sounds healthy doctrine is to be taught rather than the erroneous teaching that we read just a minute ago in chapter 4 and in chapter 1. Old wives' tales, abstaining from foods, keeping Jewish ceremonial laws, forbidding people to marry, silly myths, deceitful teaching that we see in verse 1 that will abandon, people will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Today, we still have false teaching, don't we? Heretical teaching. Sexual ethics. It's okay to be a Christian and have a homosexual lifestyle. Universalism. Everyone will be saved. Does it matter? Baptism in the Spirit. You are given supernatural gifts when you're baptized. Timothy was to refute bad doctrine. Point them out to his hearers. We saw that in their text, didn't we? Where is it? Verse 6. If you point these out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths. He was to point this bad doctrine out. This was a past, part of his role as pastor. Dramaki says that the more devotion that a pastor gives to these three areas of pulpit ministry, the less chance that people will give heed to apostate error. I agree. And I think that here, the leaders at Calvary Church, by God's grace, have done this during the lifetime of this church, certainly my lifetime. Um, Let's make sure that we keep this as a church, that we are reading Scripture publicly, we are preaching the Word from the text, and we are teaching sound doctrine and refuting bad doctrine. May this continue. Sorry, I forgot to click all the time. I'm engrossed in my notes. You don't need them. but uh. My last point is exercise your gift, verse 14. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Exercise your gift, Timothy. As Steve touched on last week, it can be all too easy to become lazy, slothful, neglecting our God-given gifts. 
and put on the pounds. Flabby Christianity, I think Steve called it. However, Pastor Timothy shouldn't be like this, but exercise his gifts given to him by God. The gift is not specified here, is it? One commentator suggests his gift was his teaching ministry together with the authority and power to exercise it. We see from the text, it was given to him when the council of elders placed their hands on him. Verse 14. The point implied here is that Timothy could be tempted to neglect his gift and not fan it into flame. No, by practicing his gifts, exercising them, being diligent in his ministry, giving himself wholly to them, Timothy and his congregation would see progress in his ministry and development, becoming an example, a model, maturing in his gifts, so that by the end of his ministry, he would be a stronger role model for the church than when he was at the beginning. The verb progress here means to cut forward like engineers who prepare a road for the advancing army by removing obstructions such as rocks and trees. This gift is given through prophecy. It's not a static, permanent endowment, quality from God, but it's human recipient must use it and develop it at stop. So, by way of application, if there is a younger, inexperienced man coming to lead the church here at Calvary, we must be patient and allow his gifts to fan into flame over the course of his ministry. He's not the finished article. He won't be the finished article. We must encourage him and be gracious to him. I'm sure Phil would say that he has developed during his ministry here at Calvary Church. Remember, Rod Thomas said that when he came, um, Phil wasn't the finished article in some ways. But uh, I'm sure Phil would say, by God's grace, he has developed and um, been used. And we praise God for him. Now he's coming to the end of his ministry. And uh, perhaps you can talk about that tonight, Phil. Um, how you've matured and developed. And uh, this is great, isn't it? And that, that's, what, that's what should happen to, to elders. And I think it's brilliant if we can mentor this person. Um, and Phil would be the obvious choice as, as an experienced minister to help this man. We must remember that Christian leaders are, as I said earlier, they're not, are not flawless. Um, and they shouldn't appear to be flawless. Um, because this has two bad results, Stott says. Um, firstly, none of us are perfect. And it's dishonest to pretend to be. Um, it's hypocritical. And secondly, the pretense discourages people who then suppose their leaders are altogether exceptional and even inhuman. 
And for all of us, I think this is a word for us, we have gifts, don't we, that the Lord has given us. Perhaps not up here preaching the word of God, but perhaps in music, perhaps in languages, encouragement, administration, welcoming, hospitality. I'm sure you can name more. How are you doing in them? Let's fan them into flame. And lastly, balance your life. Verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them. Sorry, persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Balance your life, Timothy. This is key for the young pastor. He must watch his personal life closely, as well as his teaching. A balance is needed, an equilibrium. Don't neglect your life, your home life perhaps, your family, your wife, your children, your own walk with the Lord, times of rest, your devotion to God, perhaps your exercise, your health. Give attention to your conduct. Neither lose focus on your duties as pastor, as we've studied. Watch your priorities. Then there won't be a dichotomy, a separation from your private and public life. Don't immerse yourself so much in your teaching ministry that your personal life goes out of the window. And don't fixate too much on your own walk with God so that you neglect ministering to others. Balance your life. Finally, there is a promise, isn't there? An incentive for Timothy to keep pressing on, to keep going. In verse 16. You will save both yourself and your hearers. Can he really save himself and others? This seems preposterous, doesn't it? Self-salvation? Isn't Paul contradicting himself? Doesn't Paul say in Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works? This isn't a contradiction, as the word save has multiple meanings, as we saw when Phil preached 2.15 but a woman will be saved through childbearing. Ultimately, Christ is the one who saves us from our sin. We were singing that, weren't we? There is no other way by which we must be saved. It's through Jesus. It's only through Christ. And we saw that, didn't we, in chapter 1. Have a look. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Saviour. The famous verse 15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Chapter 2, this is good and pleases God, our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved. Christ is the ultimate Saviour. However, here, Grimaki comments, Timothy will save himself from personal and theological error 
by scriptural study and holy living. Second, the preacher will deliver his listeners from the same moral and doctrinal error if he lives and preaches correctly. In other scriptures we read, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Only those who persevere to the end will be saved. Calvin writes that although scripture, sorry, although salvation is God's gift alone, yet human ministry is needed. He uses evangelists, doesn't he? Uses us to spread the gospel as means to salvation. It's through the message that people are saved and we bring that. So to conclude, let's not look down on young preachers, but encourage them. Let's make sure that we are reading scripture here in the gatherings publicly, preaching the word and teaching faithfully in the pulpit. Let's make sure we are all exercising our gifts to the glory of God, fanning them into flame, especially young preachers. And this is all done by God's grace, isn't it? His help. We need him. Amen.